Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Rackant and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode was about content moderation in social media. Uh, fundamentally, it was about free speech and what type of speech we can control, allow, amplify. Um, the, the issues here are really nuanced and challenging and at the same time, absolutely critical for our functioning society to get right. Um, we go into a lot of interlocking issues, talking about what type of speech can be allowed and how we know, how do we amplify things? What type of feedback loops are we creating? And what are historical precedents for building safe systems? Overall, a fantastic conversation. I hope you will enjoy our back and forth. So the topic of the day is content moderation. Like how do we, how can we do content moderation? And the, um, and I can't resist not sort of throwing the Twitter question in. I think when we scheduled this, Elon Musk hadn't yet. Uh, I, I'll, let me say it this way. The Twitter board hadn't yet capitulated to Elon's uh, offer. Um, but we've been talking about, you know, fake news and bots. Like we've, this has been a pretty robust conversation for us. And I, yeah, boy, I, you know, I think there's two questions. One is, should we, you know, with Twitter and Elon Musk, there's a degree of, do we need, you know, do, are we going to have content moderation free? forums we can talk about that and then how do we do it if we're going to do it what what is content moderation in in our in the coming free speech public forum uh utopia that we're building yeah i mean the first thing i would worry about is um you know the that content for so many of us is the same thing as porn right we know when we see it and um (laughs) To, to one person, a man without a shirt is porn. To somebody else, it's it's a it's a it's a woman with a horse in the barn, um, and there's everything in between. And unfortunately, content is the same. And my my concern is with moderation is that we'll end up with moderation where the freedom of speech is actually most important, and we'll not have moderation in the place where um, um, it, it doesn't make a difference. And it's just people wasting each other's time. Um, Elon Musk, for all the hero worship he gets, um, was, would not have been my first choice for somebody taking over Twitter. And um, I said that pretty loudly when it happened. And of course, the first stupidest thing he announced was his willingness to turn back on Trump's account um, and so, you know, it's a perfect example of, um, where moderation is actually needed. Um, uh, it likely won't occur. Um, and in other forums, people will control moderation for, from a political view standpoint, or that's what I'm worried about rather than controlling moderation from a, um, uh, are you being a, um, a dangerous human standpoint? 
right? And the simple, simple fact was that Trump and some of his acolytes were being dangerous humans, and they were advocating violence and illegal acts. And to me, that's a pretty clear case of, yeah, you should be turned off, uh, as opposed to somebody just espousing alternative opinions on a subject that's open for debate. So I don't know. I, 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 um, I could go on and on about mm -hmm. free speech in general. I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of free speech, but I also, um, think that like, uh, the, um, second amendment, um, too many of us have used the, the, the point of free speech as a weapon, as opposed to the positive um, tool it always should have been. And um, those that scream the loudest about cancel culture are usually the ones canceling people. There is invariably when we talk about content and moderation, there's also the, the matter of abuse, which you kind of touched there. And, um, and yeah, also when talking about freedoms is, it is frequently forgotten that one's freedom is not boundless. It, like your, freedom, your, your freedom only goes as far as the rights and freedoms of other people. If you abuse your freedom to infringe on the rights and freedoms of other people, then that needs to stop. And that's where moderation comes in place. Right. Um, from a more pragmatic perspective, also, like the content platforms have a legal obligation to moderate themselves um, because otherwise they are held liable for distributing potentially harmful content. Yep. Well, I have a question about that because. When does the liability start and where where does the liability end? Because whenever you sign up for a social network, you know that you're putting you're buying their control of your data. So mm. is it the minute you upload something, they then have the legal obligation to moderate? Or is it only in the case where they find something egregious? that someone else has written that they then kick in their, their power of moderation. And I think that's part of the problem. That because depends I don't have any law that says, if you put up a social network, you are automatically liable for the content they're in. That depends on the jurisdiction. Uh, in most cases or most legal cases I've seen, it gravitates towards the former. The, uh, as soon as something is visible on the platform or actually before as, as soon as something is visible on the platform the platform itself is responsible for for it so they, oh, they they feel the need to moderate before it becomes visible this is Point this i think yeah no you're hitting you're hitting go ahead because you're hitting a core issue yeah. like pointing case being like uh, okay. cases about um digital rights management uh or, or copyright um piracy uh, uh mature content um 
whenever we see court cases about this, it's largely uh, become the case that the platforms have been made responsible for it, uh, and it's and the governments or the the legal entities have been. Uh, I don't want to say requesting because that's too nice. Perhaps com uh, commanding the platforms that they need to self-moderate or face legal repercussions. I, but I heard a really interesting story. Um, I, I think it was um, on the media uh, covering this. I've heard I've, I've heard a lot of lot of takes on on these things about um, the challenge. Like, for these commercial platforms, the if their content is, you know, too one-sided or too, um, you know, it becomes all pornography or it becomes all, you know, one side of a discussion, that that actually, it, they become echo chambers and the value on the platform goes way, way down. Um, on a social media platform, I think if you look at, and, and, and we're talking about social media platforms because if you look at uh, you know cable news outlet, they actually can move into a propaganda system, into a propaganda outlet without real consequences to their their base, right? It's not a not a human interaction thing. It's, that's not free speech from that perspective, right? Um, I, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to ask the question. I mean. Where where is the differentiation from either FCC or you know content law that says there's a difference between a media outlet and a social media outlet, and therein I think um, is part of the yeah. problem. So so the differentiation in the U.S. is uh, Section two thirty whether you're a publisher or not. Mm -hmm. And the media outlet is a publisher. And currently the social media outlet, the social media uh, guys have avoided being labeled uh, as a publisher. They're transit. Wow, we have people raising their hands. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Which of you raised first? I missed it. Mark was first. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Klaus. So, um, you know, the, every time I think about um, free speech, I think my first idea is that I found an obvious problem. And then the second I think about it more, I realize it's really hard to put um, a wall around that problem to safely resolve it without causing other problems. Um, and one of those uh, ideas just now popped up, and I, Klaus, I actually want um, to, to bring you in on this, if, if it turns out to be appropriate, um, is, you know, when you think about um, uh, racism and activities that espouse or demonstrate a wanton um, uh, disregard for um, uh, uh, race relations or, you know, a, a point that enforces the idea, reinforces the idea of racism, um, if if a mature business, in my mind, any mature business that had um, an employee or a leader 
espousing any kind of racial view, their ability, my assumption is their ability to continue to function as an equity-based enterprise is suspect if they allow that person with racist, racist views to maintain their position. Right. And, and I, I say huh. that because um, how could you possibly have somebody who espouses racist views? How could you possibly assume that they would make equity based decisions on pay and hiring practices and job promotions and all that kind of stuff for everyone across the spectrum? You can't. You, you would have to assume that they couldn't be provide an equity-based answer. And so it seems obvious that if somebody is espousing racist views in society, they are immediately demonstrating the fact that they cannot be a fair equity-based contributor to society. So again, a very, um, very poor definition of what it is and the problem that I'm trying to get to. But this is also where um, I think that there may be a parallel. And Klaus, um, are you German? Uh, not directly. Not directly. <laughs> okay. Are you familiar with the laws in Germany about um, espousing views that um, would, a sport, uh, would support Nazism? Uh, um, remotely... Uh, acquainted with that. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know enough to, to bring this into the argument now. I was hoping Klaus uh, might have um, a little bit better experience with it, but they, there are very strict laws in Germany about, um, even though Germany, generally speaking, is, is free speech oriented, but there are very strict rules about um, the topic of Nazism in Germany, about how it can be discussed Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And so, I wonder if there are um, you know ways to expand on on those kinds of models in other areas of opportunity. Anyway, I'll, and I'll get off the floor now. Yeah, man, boss, either one. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, Mark, so the 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 part that you said about about equity is uh, it's, it's quite on point um, and. Uh, it, it also brings us on, on topic of the, the paradox of tolerance or the at least seemingly paradox of tolerance because where whether someone whether we as a society should tolerate intolerance and um, the the way that or the, the argument that, 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 I've, that I've most agree with on, on that regard is that it is not a paradox to not tolerate intolerance Um because when you look at it uh, uh, as, as a net action, like inaction on intolerance means that it implies that you um, sanction said toler uh, intolerance and, and, uh, and approve of it. So by not tolerating intolerance, you actually reduce the net intolerance in, in a system. Uh, which then comes again back to the topic of moderation uh, and, and, and equity and, and fairness. Uh, and yeah, so ultimately, 
Uh, we, we, what we see uh, happening, um, I mean, it's it's hard to prove, but but it's at the very least uh, apparent, I would say, is that um, platforms that tout themselves as being uh, supportive of free speech uh, largely tend to gravitate towards or, or, or largely tend to attract um, audiences that um, have uh, been uh, not tolerated in, in other platforms. That is not necessarily bad in most cases. Like it, it, it is acceptable for, or it, it, it makes sense at least in, in the best case scenario that um, a, an, an audience that, that does not have a platform in an authoritarian regime should have the opportunity to discuss or to have free speech. Um, but uh, unfortunately, um, it, in reality, what we see is that it, it gets abused a lot. Right. John? Uh, the, I, okay, so because Canadian law is different, we have in the Charter of Rights a guarantee of, of free speech, but there is a loophole to it. For example, if you willfully promote hatred of any sort, and this is very much to Mark's point about the German laws and the case that's going to be made against Lufthansa for what they just did for refusing to allow a group of Hasidic Jews to board a plane in Frankfurt, of all places, um, you can actually go to jail for two years. So not only are you subject to termination of your uh, employment, but you can be fined $10,000 for each instance. And then if you are convicted of willfully promoting hatred, you can go to jail for two years. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There are defenses that can be made. Um, for example, if you repeat something that somebody else has said to prove their point was wrong, you're not actually promoting hatred. But it requires, in the case of Twitter, uh, and certain and Facebook to a certain extent, if you look at the terms and conditions, it actually, because there's case law on this now, that says they have the legal right to moderate in the event that they are notified that someone is willfully preventing, willfully promoting hatred. So I think it's different by geography, but it's also different by if it's reported to the corporate entity or to the leadership, that's one situation. If it's not reported, but it's just out there, they may not have the same uh, legal obligation to moderate. And I think that's where some of this has to really be fine-tuned. And the same would hold true, by the way, not to bring in another topic, but I have this ongoing you know, discussion with some other people around the ethics of AI. And the fact that the data models that may be used to create the AI have inherent bias in them, which most of them do. So how do you then, you know, go through this um, sense of moderation or mediate or, or and even mediate the dispute if you have an AI 
leading or generating, even in the case of a bot on Twitter, the promulgation of hatred or willfully promoting hatred versus an individual who's doing it. And these two things are starting to come together in a very tangible way. Because someone can use a bot that actually has a a racial profile or some other bias built in. It then goes viral on Twitter. People buy into it or try and subjugate it. Then what? Funny that you should mention the the, the bots because that actually happened. Someone trained a uh, a natural uh, language model on on Twitter and it's it's being out uh, a hatred. This is I, actually I'm, I'm glad you're bringing up bots because I think that there's an element there's there's layers in this conversation that um, go beyond with social media one person's speech and into the amplification of somebody's speech. So part of part of moderation, right, is stopping a person from speaking or taking a person off of a platform. Um, which is risk, which is which I think all the platforms view is risky because what somebody could be making a, a point that is not popular, but isn't. And, and I think Joanne's making the right point. Hate is is different. Right. Talking against other people is different than making an unpopular statement. Um, and, and I think that, that those are those are explainable. But there's a whole other layer to this in social media platforms because of the amplification component, right? right. Part of the moder- moderation we're talking about is not do I stop a person from talking, it's do I stop the the, the that inf- that person's voice from being amplified by my platform. Um, and I, you know, just that one piece to me is is as important or more important, right? There's, uh, you know, the, we were talking about bots. Sometimes the platforms amplify by putting it in your feed using AI and, and find, you know, trying to target you um, and, and, you know, capture your attention, which we've learned is potentially toxic based on the AI's ability to filter things that you might want to see to the exclusion of balanced information. And then the other side of it is, um, bot, you know, bots that literally amplify people's um, uh, expression. Um, I, I have some more to say about that, but I'll pause to leave. Um, Mark, you raised your hand, but also to let other people add add in on the the amplification side of moderation. Mm-hmm. Mark, you muted. Uh, yeah, I think the amplification piece um, can't be ignored, right? Somebody espousing hatred on a soapbox on the corner of um, San Francisco with a megaphone has a much different impact on people than than someone on Twitter. But um, yeah. I think it's also true that um, there's, well, I shouldn't say it's also true. I would say there is a possibility that we must take into account the position from which someone begins their tirade or their rant or their espousal of hatred, um, as opposed to just the fact that a person did it, right? Like to many people on Twitter, Mark Teeley has a ton of followers. 
at 19,000 compared to Trump when he was on Twitter, I'm a fly on the back of an elephant. So I could espouse hatred all day long and probably have almost zero impact other than annoying people that follow me. But when Trump does it, there are, or somebody like Trump doesn't have to be Trump, could be somebody on the left, makes no difference. But when somebody with that kind of position of power and followership does it, <clears throat> they run the real risk of hitting that, I don't know, is it 5%, 1%, 20% of followers who are willing to take what somebody says verbatim and actually act on it, as opposed to just accept that this is part of the somehow new modern um, dialogue and it's <laughs> acceptable to make threats against people and stuff. And another way to look at the problem is, right, I think, I think it should be obvious that the first time anyone either suggests they themselves would want to harm somebody else or that they suggest other people should harm somebody else, that the, fir the first time that happens, somebody, they should be taken off of any platform they're on. That makes sense to me. But is that the same as telling uh, people that they should go protest in front of Alito's home about uh, the right to abortion? Are those two things different? And superficially, you could say, well, going and protesting in front of their home isn't necessarily advocating violence, but it's hard to argue that protesting in someone's home couldn't potentially put someone in that home at risk. You know, I, I was just reading. It's actually it's actually illegal to um, uh, try to influence judges' opinions. Um, so some of that that there's uh, understandable um, um, feelings on this. Yep. Um, and there's an interesting component of of right. It's actually interesting. We have a law that says you can't try to you know convince a justice to change their mind on a pending opinion, um, which I seems actually sort that. of strange. Yeah, but I mean, um, I, we could, we could, I, I use that because it was topical, but it could be to no, go to AOC's home or it could be to go to Schumer's home or well, whatever. And being, people, right? people, and, and that is right. People, you know, we, we had a whole bunch of outrage over people, you know, uh, talking to or demonstrating in front of politicians during meals, right? Or not serving politicians because they disagreed with their political, which is a, I, we have we have these interesting public forum. This isn't the, the path I was going to go down, but we have these interesting public forum versus business versus right to intercede where, you know, uh, what we had a couple of months ago where somebody at a, at a restaurant, you know, a restaurant owner and their staff decided they didn't want to serve somebody, a politician who they didn't agree with and asked them to leave the restaurant. And there was and it's a, it's challenging place because it, it the in a lot of cases that restaurant owner should have a right to say i don't want to serve you and yet we also know that if businesses are allowed to make choices like that um then they can be anti-democratic and so it's this is these are very very challenging um conversations it's the same thing with the public square like with twitter uh, it's not a public square um which we should talk about um, but it, it, it isn't, it isn't. And so if you silence a person in that square, then you are potentially creating, you know, um, 
uh, discriminatory systems. Uh, but I, I want to, before I, we go down that path, I wanted to pull back to something that y'all had gone through that I think is really interesting. Because, Mark, you were talking about Trump and having a huge number of followers. Um, and we've got, we've created this feedback loop for people who are using the, the social media amplification, where in the past we expected our leaders to be more moderate as they became, right? Like that their, their, that their behavior as they became more and more um, publicly recognizable would be moderated. Right. And the social media feedback mechanism actually seems like we have uh, created more sensationalist activities, right? We have, you know, representatives who are literally feeding into a loop where they are, you know, they get amplification because they are saying things that are, would not be acceptable in normal public discourse, but they say them into Twitter because they can, um, or other social media, because they then get amplified and they, they, they go through this cycle. Right. Some of Trump's appeal to his thing was like, oh, I'm going to say kafefe, you know, not that, but everything, you know, whatever he wanted in that channel without consequence. When story, you know, 20 years ago, they wouldn't have stood in front of a podium and made statements like that. And what's interesting is that it, we've actually bled from that reinforcement behavior into the public, into truly public squares. Um where we've created this, this very, um, maybe, maybe I'm under us, maybe old enough now that I, sh I have the history to, to think about people standing on podiums and street corners with megaphones. Um, and you could just walk away. Yeah. You could walk away, but I mean, you know, what you're describing is very much a chicken and egg scenario, yeah. right? Because Look at January the 6th or look at, you know, what led up to the um, insurgency is he's told people in a public venue. There was no to me, there's not a lot of difference. And maybe it's just my perspective of taking taking the Twitter following and inciting them to go and do violence or to protest or standing in the public dump, in, in a public arena on a street behind a plant pane of glass with a megaphone and saying exactly the same thing. And to your point, Mark, I agree with you that position matters, but I don't necessarily think it's the determining factor because if you with your 19,000 or somebody with 5,000 says something totally egregious, the viralization of that through your follower base extends out geometrically. So whether he has 20 million people following him or you have 19,000, it doesn't really matter. It's the act that you're promulgating something derogatory against a particular group or whatever. And from my perspective, I think the only way to reverse that is to either take the laws that govern that space and make them far more finite based on situation or just blanket across every potential media platform, whether it's Fox News or Twitter or the a, a real public square. It should be one and the same. I don't know if that works or not, but. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree. Sorry, Klaus, uh, just a quick response. Um, but um, I tend to agree that it really shouldn't matter the number of people other than the fact that um, when you do have 20 million, you obviously have a much higher chance of finding those few people that are not jobs enough to go actually act on the stupid shit that you say. But uh, generally speaking, I agree that if it applies to somebody with 20 million, it, it, there's no reason why it shouldn't apply to somebody with 20. Uh, um, I'm going to go a little bit back to uh, Rob, what, what, what you were asking about. And, and um, I, I'm going to disagree with your statement about the popularity of a public persona driving them towards a centrist position. Just because there is a, an exception to that, and it's a very strong exception, and that is populism, which is what we saw happening during the, 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 the Trump uh, um, period. And it, it's not something new either. We, we've seen it historically. Mm -hmm. um, McCarthyism was very much like that. Sure. Nazism was very much like that. Like the, the, Nazi, the Nazis wrote the handbook on populism. Right, for sure. Um, and I mean, it, it, it is the same pattern that we saw then that we saw now in that an extreme position, uh, a very antisocial position, can gain popularity if it has a sufficient following and, and it is targeted at a subsection of the population. And, and unfortunately, it's also very dangerous uh, and hard to stop because it creeps up on you. It's very insidious. You don't notice that it, it's happening until it's too big. Right. Absolutely. Do you, well, do you I, feel like those platforms are fundamentally based on untruths? Because the things that you just identified are where, you know, basically big lies turned into um, movements. It, it, that is a very hard philosophical question um, because, um, on, unfortunately, what, what happens is a lot of the people who listen to those arguments believe them as well. Even they, they, they might be empirically untrue. Uh, in, in the worldview of the person that follows them, they are true. And that is, it's, it's hard to, to, to get a person out of that worldview. Um, there, there is, I mean, there's further arguments as, as well about like how um, like the, the, the sociology and psychology aspect of, of how people get to that kind of worldview. Uh, we, we, we unfortunately don't have enough time to, to really cover all of that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's that there's a lot of mental gymnastics happening around it. Uh, and even if, again, if the, the, no amount of empirical evidence will change someone's opinion 
about something. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Ah, uh, boy, because content moderation implies somebody's providing a filter on on these systems um, to to limit the spread of them, which fundamentally seems anti-democratic to me. Um, but um, and y'all have hands raised, so I'll hold my point um, about this. Well, I wonder if this will um, feed into what you were uh, potentially going to say, or at least to follow in the theme of what you're going to say, Rob. But there are a wide range of double standards and dichotomies in in American law, and they always have been, right? Yeah. Think things that apply to one don't apply to another. Um, uh, uh, the Constitution is conveniently used and not used and historically has been treated that way um, whenever the government deems it appropriate, right? And that's just a fact. And, and if you guys, if anybody disagreed with that, we could spend hours finding all kinds of examples where um, the Constitution has been used, abused, or forgotten when it's convenient to the government. Um, so freedom of speech you, you can say on Twitter, or apparently in public, the president can actually advocate for somebody getting killed. And yet anyone in the U.S. who says, I want to kill the president, isn't just told you can't say that anymore. Sure. They're literally threatened with charges and the potential for being thrown in jail just for mm -hmm. saying the threat. Right. And so right away, there's a dichotomy and there's an assumption that if somebody is saying that, they might mean it. If they might mean it, we need to protect the president. How is that not true for every other person in the United States? Yes, maybe it's point. more impactful, right? It, maybe it's more impactful if somebody kills the president than if they kill Mark Teeley. But the basic fact for why that law is in place is because there is a concern when somebody says that they might mean it. So why can't we use that same rule everywhere else? I... As <laughs> a conversation stopper. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's a good. It's the a, a, It's a question of where where a threat of violence goes. But we've we've definitely had people. You're muted. The other thing I wanted to mention, which is another, um, to me, sort of an obvious corollary, is that in places where we've accepted that our rights our perceived rights, because it's not always clear what are actual rights and what aren't, or what should be rights and what aren't. Um, our perceived rights are impeded, i.e., I can't just drive 120 miles an hour on the freeway. Why not? Why shouldn't I be free to drive my car, which is capable of going much faster than that? Why am I not free to drive? Well, because I might hurt somebody. How does that not apply to free speech? It's a it's an incredibly important question, um, and uh, there's a 
slippery slope arguments te- typically are fallacies and it are almost always fallacies. Right. Um, but and so driving I, I, is an unenumerated right. Very, that's a very good point. It's true. It's true. But there's also freedom of movement. And um, we've accepted the fact that people have the right to force us to wear helmets and put seatbelts on. There and, is. And that, <laughs> and, and that right is, is argued to be infringible because you can put a burden on other people by you being hurt. So again, if we can make those kinds of leaps from a personal safety standpoint, um, then why can't we make that leap from a, a freedom <laughs> of speech standpoint? I, 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 um, also I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but I have a, a quick point if that's okay. Go ahead. Um, the cars did not start with seatbelts. They inflicted a lot of harm before we chose to make them make them uh, default to safe modes. And it's possible that we don't actually understand the harm of social media at the moment. And that we we are living in the pre seatbelts era for cars. And uh, we we will we will in uh, many too many decades reach a um, and actually, I think this conversation is part of that. Reach a point where we understand what a what a seatbelt safety media seatbelt looks like, and safety media, you know, social media, uh, safety media. Maybe that's what it'll become. Uh, airbags and you know turn signals and things like that. Well, Boss and yep. <laughs> that got everybody excited. <laughs> the, the, there, there is also the the the, the fact that. Um, the the fallout of not wearing seatbelts is much more easily, or the, the fallout of doing harm with a vehicle is much more easily quantifiable than the fallout of doing harm with speech. Uh, and that is a, a problem with, yeah. with, 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 that, with, with, with laws in, in, in almost all jurisdictions. And that... And, uh, in, in many cases, laws need to deal with intent and, and proving that someone has had the intent to cause harm is very difficult. Um, go, going back again to, to the, yeah. the, the social media and, and, and echo chambers and, and such, like, a lot of the problem is also, I, I think, that the algorithms, the social media algorithms and, and, and and we've had a discussion in the past about Elon Musk talking about the algorithm, but the, yeah, the social media arguments are are built to uh, to amplify extreme positions because those drive interest, and, and driving interest uh, is what social media platforms are about. That, that's how they monetize themselves, and the the. And this goes against moderation, which tends to, to try to cap interest. That's right. So, uh, furthermore, uh, talking about moderation and, and like, again, you, you're talking about, uh, well, what, why, 
like the the house objective it is when, when how certain rules are applied like the like constitution and, and, and who gets to to say if someone should be killed or not um there's a matter of bias as well uh finding an impartial moderator is extremely difficult perhaps it, there should be an like a, a a global moderation algorithm or, or ai that is um that is not under a single jurisdiction that can try to produce an as impartial as possible um decision or not but but then we then we go again down a much much deeper rabbit hole as well with that but i'm stepping off the soapbox <laughs> I, I, I had my hand up, but I'm actually going to lower it. I've been talking too much. Rocky, Joanne. Rocky, go ahead. Uh, well, <laughs> so back to what Rob was saying about seatbelts and whatnot, I think, and also what Klaus was saying about AI and stuff, I think what we're seeing is attempts at laws to regulate speech, but they're starting in uh, the, the child exploitation areas, CSAM. And they are actually making lots of mistakes and maybe making some right moves. But uh, the as in the early days of trying to regulate cars, the regulation is going in starts and fits and, and whatnot. And it, in some ways, that stuff is more obvious. So until they get that right, I don't think we're going to see regulation of dangerous speech uh, when it comes to ethics and politics and whatnot until after we come up with something that works for something more obvious, such as... Uh, trafficking and uh, extreme uh, violence and other stuff, the real stuff that is currently actually hurting moderators now. Uh, I don't know if you've been following what's, what's going on in um, Nigeria, but in Nigeria, the people who have been contracted as content moderators have to view the stuff and take it down. And the PTSD from it is pretty severe because there's some pretty sick people out there that decide they want to use the platform to, to advertise. But the it's going to take a while to get the laws right. And with AI, uh, the large model approach isn't going to work because that builds in bias and they until they figure out how to keep bias out of large, large models, AI isn't a solution either. So we, I think we've got a, a fairly long way to go before we get there. And one of the other things that long ago I was going to mention is the fact that there's also the fact that once it's on the internet, it's always out there somewhere. 
either an archive, the internet archive grabs it or somebody else grabs it and it can always be resurrected. So there's also that instance where sometimes you want things to be resurrected, such as the Russian news uh, feed that had all the real stories on it. And other times you wanted to die a horrible death and never be seen again. Right. Well, I think, you know, part of the issue is who, you know, to Klaus's point about an international body regulating it. What I'm curious about and what I think is going to be a very big discussion across the world of tech anyway, is if they open source the algorithms, if he does open source the algorithms on Twitter, how those are going to be used and abused to be able to communicate and get around the filtering and the moderation. And I think that that's probably not so much in the cybersecurity domain, but more in the the overarching umbrella of what it will be for media, for social media, and for out in the public domain uh, of a town square, right? I mean, the minute those algorithms are released, you know that there'll be malfeasance and the right will assert some point of view and the left will assert some point of view. But really the only way to do it of of any ilk is a pre, maybe pre-moderation before it actually gets published. And maybe that's the area that needs to be centric on an international basis. You know, it has to go through this set of filters before it's ever published. And I think that's probably the only way to control it. The question is, how does that come to be? Is it the, what, 50 countries or 60 countries who want a better internet that all signed up to that? Or is it going to be some, you know, jurisdictional or regulatory body in each each country that will have a member? But if we pre-filter, then we can maybe alleviate a lot of this. Because I don't know that you could actually put this down as law, appealing, uh, applying to geography. Goodness, that'd be hard. Yeah, well, the other thing is also, we haven't really talked about it, is what about those cases in chat apps, WhatsApp or, or whatever messaging app, where right now, or, or there was a case of, I forget the name of it, I know that there's a movie about it now, um, a couple where she was pushing him to commit suicide. Ugh, that was wow. actually a trial. So that could become the beginning case law for whatever we're talking about. But it has right. to apply uniformly. They're they're opt they're opt in, things like that. I I have a, I have a I have a, a whole page of notes about democratic speech and the influence of money in this. Um, seen and unseen influence of money. So I, I definitely have things that, that I'd like to come back to. And just a, a note to consider if we pick up the topic of, um, of global moderation is we've seen historically how well that works with things like the Security Council. Yeah. It doesn't fucking work at all because China or Russia or the United States can just make a decision that they don't want it to apply to that particular problem because they influence that problem and economic threat at a minimum 
is big enough that nothing ever happens. So I, um, you know, freedom of speech, oh goodness, just, just like, um, just like the, uh, you know, the security council or the human rights council, freedom of speech will be, um, approved or not proved based on how a particular country feels something being said makes them look. And, um, and, and that's certainly counter to free speech. I mean, hell, if there was one thing that free speech should be available for, it's so that you could talk about the problems in your own government. And yet that's exactly the direction that we're trying to head away from is that the government is perfect. The country is perfect and you can't question it. Uh, and if you do, then you're the problem, not the government. And we all know where that leads. On that chipper note, <laughs> let us wrap up. Take care of yourselves. Um, don't, don't worry about free speech for the day, but we'll come back to it. Ah. All right. There's a lot of work to do here. A lot of, <laughs> lot of thought. Thank you, everyone. Wow, what an amazing conversation. There is so much ground to cover um, yet to come, and we will be having these conversations at the 2030.cloud. Please join us. We want to hear your opinions on this. Uh, the more voices that we have in the conversation, the more uh, rich and robust that discussion can become. Getting speech correct is absolutely essential for us to be successful as a community. And we want you to be part of that. So come in, uh, be part of Cloud 2030, and I will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.